Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, grow you as a disciple, and help you serve His purpose. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Why don't we stand? Let's just stand. I've just been this morning, just, I've just arrived back from Canada just uh, on Friday, and I'm still sort of on Canada time zone and I wouldn't say I'm jet lagged but if I fall asleep can someone just nudge me and I'll get back into the sermon but I'd love you to close your eyes and just this scripture has been resonating within me it's Psalm 46 verse 10 I think you a lot of you may know it but it says there be still and know that I'm God and I really just want to capitalize on that and the way this is originally written in the Hebrew Be still, there's a little comma, we see a comma, but there was like multiple dots which followed in the Hebrew the way it was written because it was illustrating, it was creating an illustration, it was making a point to be still as a necessary part of our Christian life to actually embrace and get the fullness of the understanding and know that he is God. We can fill our lives with so much activity with so much noise, but the power and the realization of who God is takes us and takes an effort by us sometimes to still the inner you. And Lord, you know us, as you have said, like you know us far better than we know ourselves. And Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name, I pray that in this moment of being still on the inside, that we learn to understand who you are at a greater level. And even in this presence here this morning, the presence of God just reassures us that you are present. And Jesus, I thank you that in everything that is communicated today, everything that is spoken, everything that we have embraced in worship and our giving and just being together, that you are the center of our life. And we thank you. And Lord, a quest that we shall never give up on is ever-increasing desire to know you better. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, again, you know that scripture. As I said, I love that. It's resonated in me. But again, it reminds me that so often we're expecting God to do something phenomenal you know with this incredible light and thunder and the illustration of a obviously of Elijah and out there in the in the wilderness and you know there was lightning there was storm there was fire whole lot of activity but actually the voice came in a still quiet place and I want you to be able to hear that today because I really want that to resonate deep within you the second thing this morning when I was praying for this service was and we know that scripture from Matthew um, 16 which talks about Again, it's Jesus talking to Peter, but he makes a pretty broader statement, which is to the church. And it was that statement which, which held the position about what the church is. And it, the Lord says, and I will build my church. Love that scripture. It depends on if you've got a Catholic background, you'd like to put it to Peter, the, the founder of the church, etc. But it's far broader than that. And it's not to an individual, it's to the broader church. But the most important part of that scripture, it says, 
and I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I love that scripture when you get the fullness of the understanding of what that scripture actually means. Because the reference of gates, it's mentioned countless times in the Old Testament, New Testament, about the place or the gates were the place of meeting. But it was also known, it was the place, and John and Jackie and I were talking about this last night, is that it talks about the young men coming into the city, and as they came in the city, the, the elders of the city were seated at the gates to discuss the trade, what was going on. And as they went in to trade, they, they firstly stopped, spoke to the, the elders of the city, got their thoughts, their experience on how to do, what to do. They went in, they trade, they came out, and on the way out, they discussed to let them know what took place. The gates is something which is an important part, that illustration of the young men having the wisdom to stop to draw upon the wisdom of the old and the older generation willing to actually be available and accessible. The day you were born is the day that all things had so much potential. The day you die, you set out and release that potential into eternity. But the most powerful point I'm making here this morning to you as a church, uh, your life matters. Your life does matter. And the whole idea, I've loved the theme, and I want to talk along that line, is that your life matter is, is again, is that uh, call yourself a Christian. Love that. Question mark, right? Just talking to the educator down the front here and sort of the senior principal. Just John will just correct me. But in that thing, that, that, that illustration of the young men coming in, gates and the gates of hell will not prevail, will not overcome and the word there, Gates, is giving us the clearest of, of illustration is that the, the decisions, not the activity, the decisions of hell will not overcome. When Jesus, and I felt like what COVID was all about, was basically the Lord saying, I want my church back. I want my church back. You had to go at it, but I want my church back. And today I want to say that. He gets his church back and we know it's not a building, it's us. We are built and framed in the image of God. As Stu was saying, it's like the very nature of God. We aren't God. The day you think you're God, you've got a problem. But we're built and framed and made in the image of God. I just want to say to you today, there may be plans and the devil and hell itself, you may feel opposed and things are happening in your world. Understand this, the decisions in hell will be over, will be again removed or written over or cancelled when Jesus becomes the sole person of our life and that again we let him build, him take on board all that he is within our life, that our life does matter. And that is a great statement because again to be a Christian you cannot be an effective Christian if you do not see the value of who you are. I've loved this statement. If you were the only person on the planet today, would Jesus go to the cross? Yes, he would. That's pretty big. Oh, so God so loved the world. We'll get lost when it's about the many and forget about the one. But you are the one. You are the one. Who saw the Jesus revolution? Anyone see that movie? If you haven't, you've got to see it. You've got to see it. It's a story about... Um, a gentleman by the name of Greg Laurie and Kathy Laurie and, and they actually uh, have this incredible church today in California called Harvest, a movement. He's ministered to millions of people around the world. Phenomenal impact. 
But it was about him in the 70s and a gentleman by the name of Chuck Smith who is, was a pastor of this small little church called Calvary. And I'm not going to go into too much detail because of time. But this story was simply about Greg Laurie is trying to find what's my life all about? Who am I? Am I valued? Am I known? Who am I? He was just in this massive uh, hysteria of the 70s of this younger generation wanting to break out and get to, to, to discover who they were. They tried drugs. They tried everything. It was the 70s. Who was around in the 70s at that time doing the business? Yes, we're all sort of there. Don't raise your hand, John. You, too many drugs. You sort of probably can't remember much of it. But in those moments, I mean, here this guy, Greg Laurie, trying to searching. There was something more in life. There was more purpose. He just couldn't find out what it was. He'd known of Christians. He thought they were nerdy and they, they were of no use and no value. But one day he was doing drugs and on this trip back, he almost dies in this car accident. And he gets out of the car still high on drugs falls out of the, the, the car and, and it's pouring with rain. And as he's, he's there stumbling, just still trying to get his, his footing, he's stumbling, walking along. Along comes this guy, a gentleman by the name of uh, Lonnie Frisbee. His interesting, credible story of this gentleman as well. Fascinating background. Read it yourself, read up on it yourself. But then again, as he is, here's Greg Laurie trying to find his voice. Highly delusional seeing written on car windows, die. Death. He was trying to find something, but opposition was against him. Yet this individual called Lonnie Stevenson saw him just, and he says in the movie, he comes out, it is pouring with rain. Greg Laurie stumbling, looking like, like someone like, leave him alone, don't bother with him. But Lonnie Stevenson gets out of his comfort of his home of where he was. He walks out into the pouring rain, gets up there and sees this young man on the ground who'd stumbled and fallen, gets down on the ground and says, hey man, are you okay? That's a Christian. That's a Christian. Today I'm here to challenge you on one simple thing. Does your Christianity go beyond church on Sunday? Our Christianity can be limited to having a wonderful time here, but has anyone said there's something different about you? When Christ is on the inside of you, People will notice the difference in your life. And I want to talk to you about this today. And I've just entitled my message today is a life worth following. Firstly, I want to say, you, say to you that your life is worth following. Without Lonnie Frisbee, we may not have a Greg or Kathy Laurie today who have had an incredible impact upon hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people's lives. Because of one guy getting out of his position of comfort and basically taking the time to sit down in the pouring rain. Oh, that guy, he looks a little, gosh, he's high on drugs. Do you want to go out there or it's pouring with rain? It's like, oh, I don't want to get out there. I don't want to get the flu. You know, don't want to get sick. I mean, call yourself a Christian. Sometimes calling yourself a Christian means you need to go above and beyond. Just not a belief, but start to put into action some of the things you foundationally believe that are true and is the truth of what we believe. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. 
Love that. I love that. How many times have we preached that? A million times? Countless times over the years of preaching and teaching and administering the important parts of roles, pastors in the church, the podium, the pulpit, the people up here. These people really matter. They do. But they're not the be all and the end all. Because we stop there and forget to see what it says following, which it says, for pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And what is the fullness of Christ? Christ Christ-likeness. To be a Christian, to be a Christian is to be like Christ. Will you be Christ? Hopefully not because you're going to have a problem. There is only one Christ. But to be Christ-like is to allow your life to have an impact upon others' lives as Lonnie Stevens, sorry, as Lonnie Frisbee's life had an impact on Greg Laurie. One life upon one life which impacts the lives of millions. Do not undervalue or don't, do not allow your brokenness, your weakness get in the way of your Christ-likeness. Because the day Jesus gave his life to you was the day that you had everything you possibly need for the future. I said possibly. Because when you have it, you have to grow it. Because it says there, maturity is to develop what you have. Not be content with what you had at the beginning. You let it grow. Christ-likeness is an important part of our life. Amen. How did Jesus start his ministry? Let me ask you this. How did he start did he come? And we know the story, 30 years, he, no one sort of knew of him. Then at the age of 30, here he is, he gets baptized. Uh, John the Baptist is there. Uh, he says, this is the one, he's the chosen one, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. It's all going on. How did Jesus start his ministry? And actually, he starts his ministry in a way in which most people would think, well, you wouldn't start a really good ministry doing that. Did he get up there? And the best way to get up there today to to start anything in life, let me tell you who I am. Hey, guys, why don't we just sit down and let me explain to you who I am, the reason, the purpose, and do all those wonderful things. We use words so often and so much, but also is that the whole picture of Christ-likeness? Words are a part of that. Did Jesus start his ministry that way? No, he did not. How did Jesus start that way? John chapter 1 verse 38 and 9 says this. Turning around, this is when John the Baptist had said, he's the one, the chosen one, two of the disciples, one being Andrew, the other one is still a point of contention and discussion. But Andrew was one of them. As soon as they heard that this is the one, again, John had been preaching about there is a greater person coming. They hear of this. And when they hear that, They started following Jesus. And then it says there in verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What a great question. Some of the great questions, we were talking about this last night at dinner as well, is that some of the greatest questions asked at the very beginning of time. The very first question God asked man is what? Where are you? What a great question. What's that about? Self-awareness. My whole background in psychology and and in mental health and all that area, again, people have the greatest of problems because they haven't actually fessed up or had a good look about where they're really at and what they really are like and what really the challenges in their life are. 
self-awareness. Jesus says, what do you want? Purpose. You can't go anywhere if you don't know where you're going. And the last great question is the resurrected Lord's question, is who are you looking for? He says that to Mary. Jesus says that to Mary. Where are you? Self-awareness. What do you want? What's the purpose? What do you need? And the last one, who are you looking for? Who do you need alongside you? He said that to Adam at the beginning of time, did he not? He said, man is alone. He needs someone else that he may be complete. We need one another more than we realize. To be a Christian is not to do it alone. It's to do it in community and the power of community. What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus says, now let me sit down and explain and tell you all about me. No, he doesn't. Here he goes again. He says, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. What do you want? Come and see. How does Jesus approach his conversations with uh, with uh, Andrew and Peter and John and James and a lot of the other disciples. He says to them simply, come, follow me. Follow. Fascinating. You'll get my point in just a moment. Can we all remember, you, you may remember in the 90s. Now, who was around the 90s? That's sort of a little bit more recent. Thank you. Remember that little, those little armbands? W, W. J, D. What would Jesus do? Do you remember that? Some of you are going, oh, I can't. Well, anyway, that was the 90s. So we've got a lot of history here. In the 90s. So, and it came through a, a young girl by the name of Janie Tinkleberg, who was Dutch background, obviously with a name like that. And she lived in America. And, and one day her, her family loved this book. It was called In His Steps by, Sheldon, um, by Charles Sheldon. And it was a book which was written in 1896, like 100 years earlier, a long time ago. And it was a simple book about a story about a man. And, and this Charles Sheldon was a preacher of a congregation. Of a, he was a congregationalist. And he was preaching to, his, to these people. But one day he had this message which was simply around the idea. And he called his book, In His Steps, What Steps Jesus Takes should we not model ourselves and take similar steps? Which then in the book frames up the words, what would Jesus do? Incredible story and the story starts out about Charles Sheldon and he did this, he wrote this, he started out just with the, just with the concept and he developed a novel. And this novel actually is still today probably one of the most powerful novels ever written, Christian novels about this story. Incredible story, you should read it yourself. But in there it's about... Charles Sheldon using this illustration of this pastor who was leading a congregation. Funny, he was using his own life with his own same frustrations as well. But in that church, his church had become very, very traditional, very, very traditional. They just went through their religious practices, which was highly frustrating to him. But in this book that Charles Sheldon had written, he wrote of this pastor who one day was preparing for a Sunday message Anyway, he heard a knock upon the door, and as he opened the door, here was this man who, 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 who looked terribly unkept, and the smell coming from him and all the rest of it. And as he opened the door, this man said, Sir, can you please help me? 
I'm a, I'm a printer by trade, but haven't worked for so long, and I haven't eaten for so long. Can you please help me? And the pastor in the story in Charles Sheldon's book looked at me and says, look, I'm sorry, I've got too much on and closes the door. The next day, the minister goes to his church to preach to his people. And as he is going through the motions, this man walks down the, the aisle to the very front of the church. Again, stumbling and, and falling as he is walking forward. And as he got, gets to the very front, he just looked at the pastor and turned to the congregation and he said, I asked for some help, but yet I received none. And what you stand for and what you believe, what would Jesus have done? Great story, incredible story. But to me, it was a great story because it reminded me when I read that, when I saw Jesus, the Jesus revolution. Greg, how much do you follow Christ and how much? Is your life impacting the lives of others? And again, are you a real Christian? If I preach on Sunday, I read the word, I pray. Well, God bless you if that doesn't mean you're a Christian. A Christian outworks what Christ would have done. Amen? In John 13, verse 12 to 15, Jesus talks to the disciples. Fantastic story, not enough time. Bear with me. It says, after washing their feet, he put on their robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. Incredible illustration. This is after almost three years of hanging out with Jesus. Jesus is still trying to drive the point home because these knuckleheads aren't getting it. They are struggling. Jesus must be going, what is going to happen, Father? What have you given me? Because Jesus prayed that prayer. Lord, show, show me those that you've called to me. And he brought just the most broken crowd in town to be his disciples. Incredible. And a lot of historians and a lot of the commentators of, of that verse of Scripture said this, is that a lot of them have said Jesus made this statement, yet it was not recorded, but it was more than likely Jesus would have said, now I have done it, now sit down, boys, you're going to do it to each other. I want, to sh I want you, as I have shown you, I want you to wash one another's feet. But you've also got to understand what's really going on here as well. You see all the challenges in those, that group there. Who does Jesus choose? He chose, number one, Judas Iscariot, and Peter, Peter is there about to wash the feet of Judas Iscariot. But then in the last moment, Jesus swings around and says, no, Peter, I want you to have your feet washed. And Judas, I want you to wash Peter's feet. This is not in the, in the Bible, but again, a lot of historians through some of the different manuscripts which are written that this probably had took place. But even if it was or not, the illustration is still very pertinent and the point is strong is that he wanted to get his disciples to let go of their own, their own personal challenges with one another because they would not be effective or ever be able to do and outwork who Christ was in their lives. The problem here is, you see, Judas's carrot was the only Judean. All the rest of them were Galileans. The Judeans thought the Galileans were peasants. The Judeans were the intellectuals, the ones who had all the information, the, inform the hierarchical things like, oh, 
And the Galileans hated the Judeans. Peter washes the feet of Judas. No one knows what's going on in the heart of Judas. But still Jesus gets Peter to sit and for Judas to wash Peter's feet, who he thought nothing of. Then he asked Simon, the zealot, and he asked Matthew, the tax collector. You see, the zealots were a group of very politically motivated groups who were highly against the Romans. They just wanted to kill them all. They were so zealous to get rid of them, to restore the kingdom, to restore Israel to its true faith. They were zealotry to the highest degree, the nth degree. And in that moment, Jesus says, Matthew, sit down in the chair and I want you, Simon, to wash his feet. Again, the zealots hated the Romans, but they hated more, not the Romans, but Jewish people who sold out their souls to the Romans. And Matthew was a tax collector for the Romans. Interesting crowd. Jesus is pressing home a point. All of your challenges of relationships, can you lay it down and start to act and be more Christ-like? So many points, so many illustrations. John 5 verse 19 says this, The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does love that. Jesus said, I'm not doing it my way. He said, I've made a decision to choose to allow the Father to show me so what I see the Father doing, I will outwork in my life. What the Lord shows you, do you outwork in your life? When you have that motivation, when you feel like, I should just chat with them. I don't have time. The weather's not conducive. It's raining. What would Jesus do? Jesus is above and beyond all circumstance, and looks at the individual because he's more interested in the person. A true Christian is more Christ-like and will, again, step over all their own personal challenges and weaknesses and moments of, of personal challenge again because they see someone else in greater need than themselves. There is a scripture, I'll draw this to a close very quickly, but in John 14 verse 6 says this, Jesus answered, And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Love that scripture. There's a lot of great thoughts and ideas around that. But again, it embraces, and Jesus is saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am what I am. I'd love you to be like, to be more Christ-like, to outwork in your world. What is the way? The way is our behavior, our actions. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 says this, Don't let anyone think less of you. This is Paul talking to the younger man, Timothy, because you are young. Be, become an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way of life, your love, your faith, your purity. We say a lot, but sometimes we do little. But to actually apply that simple principle, What would Jesus do, not say? What would Jesus do? Carries the weight, carries the power to bring change. There was a survey amongst teenagers between the ages of 11 and 15. 
And they asked uh, these boys and girls, they asked them a number of questions, but there was one question they asked. They said, what do you want from your father? What do you want so much from your dad? Son said this, I need you, I need my dad to believe in me and trust me. Second thing they said, dad, don't withdraw. Even though I'm withdrawing, I'm trying to work out who I am and what I'm about, but don't withdraw me. I need you around. And the third thing son said, give me someone to look up to. Show me the man I should be. Show me, don't tell me, show me the man I should be. Daughters were asked, what do you want from your dad most? Said, I need you to affirm me. Tell me I'm beautiful and smart. I'm important and that I have great value in your eyes. Dad, set the standard and be the standard. Love mum so I know what love looks like. What's that all about? Christ-likeness. We put so much emphasis upon what we say, improving our theological position of understanding. Great. All good for you. But to be more a Christian or to be more Christ-like is actually showing more than telling. Can you remember back at school, in those little wonderful days when you went to primary school? Or was preschool, not primary school, preschool. The teacher went simply to this. She said, now tomorrow I want you, Johnny, to bring your favorite toy and show us what's your favorite toy and tell us. Show and tell, not tell and show. You hear what I'm saying? There's other points I can talk about. He says, I am the way, I'm the truth. Our conversation, the first one's behavior. Let your behavior speak loud and clear about Christ and your Christ-likeness. Let your conversation be filled. It says, again, I am the way, the truth. Let your conversation, but let your words be true. And then the last part, which goes on to say, the life. What is the life? It's a passion, the attitude, the outlook in which we have. We may be challenged in life, but does your outworking of lifestyle demonstrate Christ-likeness. And today, church, I just want to say this to you. Your life does matter. The day Jesus steps into your life is the greatest day for any single person on this planet today because it does change your life. And I guess the final question in light of this message is this. Is your life worth following? for you to ask yourself that here today. If so, why? If not, why not? And what are you going to do about it? I'm not here to chastise you. I'm here to challenge. I'm pretty sure Jesus did this. But the greatest challenge for every single one of us is simply to embrace that simple statement again. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Let's our Christ-likeness be outworked in our world by simply starting to allow Christ to be seen through us, more so by what we do than what we say. Because when you show what it's about, then people are more willing to listen to what you've got to say. Amen. I'm going to close the service right now. Why don't you close your eyes very quickly? I'm going to ask every single person in this place here today, just two questions. The very first one is this, simply this. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, 
Never said Jesus, stepping in my life. Jesus is the answer for every single person on this planet. To raise your hand in just a moment, not to me, but to him. To say, yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, Greg. I, I would like to know Jesus, to allow him to step into my life and then allow Jesus to walk with me in my life. And the second part of that question, you may have never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have and you've stepped away from that relationship. Why don't you step back into that relationship and say, simply say, Jesus, I need to get back in that relationship with you. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, in just a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not to me, but to Him. And we're all going to pray this prayer. Or if you have, and you've stepped away from that relationship, and you need to come back into that relationship to raise your hand also. So if that is you this morning, can you raise your hand? Just lift up your hand right now and say, Pastor Greg, that is me. You may have never asked Jesus into your life, or if you have and stepped away, raise your hand to allow him to see your hand to acknowledge you. We're all going to stand. Let's stand up right now, church, and we're all going to pray this prayer. I would do this every time I preach. And we're all going to say that same prayer that we would have said maybe a few weeks ago, maybe decades ago. But it's a prayer which firms up our position in our relationship, but it improves our position to now start to own our life and begin to start to outwork Christ-likeness in the things that we do, the things that we say and the power of Christ within us in that relationship. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I give you my life so that I may be known by you. And today, Lord, I ask you to forgive me, to save me, to make me whole and one with you. And today, Lord, I make a decision to be more Christ-like, to begin to outwork your life in my life, that others might come to know you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au.